is the Eminem Planet Podcast, episode 61. I'm your host, Joel Amidon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to figure out how to teach better. Today on the podcast is colleague, friend, neighbor, Brahanatan Keskin. He is a professor of early childhood here at the University of Mississippi. Uh, his office is two doors down from mine, and we're going to talk about an article he wrote called When Even is Uneven, Inclusion as Exclusion. It's from the Journal of Autoethnography. It sounds pretty serious, but really it we're, we kind of boiled it down and we had a little conversation before we post this podcast about what to title it. It's called How to Love Your Neighbor, and that's really what the conversation boils down to. And it's, it's really, you know, thinking about the stories that he captures in this article that we talk about in the conversation and thinking about it from regards to... You know, we talk about this as a podcast for learning how to teach better and learning how to be a good neighbor, learning how to love and learning about relationships. There's no better avenue to being a teacher than developing relationships. And I think this article gets at it um, or this conversation gets at that. And so it's a conversation between this is why I started the podcast is to have conversations like these and to share them. Through through this through the through the electronic uh, waves whatever, so it's my favorite conversation, and I'm just glad I got to have it with him. I'm glad I'm glad for my friend Rahanatan. I'm glad he got a chance to put this out there so other people can read it. But then also knowing and how academic publishing goes that it's hidden behind a paywall, and so. All right, so how do we share it? How do we share it? So we do it through a podcast. And so I'm glad he shared this article with me. I'm glad he was willing to have the conversation and what glad he's willing to allow us to share it through the podcast. And so he's an interesting guy and um, I'm loving uh, loving the things we get into in this conversation. So I'm, I'm not going to delay much more. I do want to just highlight a couple things um, that we're doing on the podcast. We have done or we're going to do. One thing is we've done the Transition Years podcast series. So that was sponsored by the University of Texas at Austin uh, Dana Center, which thinks, um, which does a lot with regards to math education. And so they sponsored this thing with the Transition Years, which is the last two years of secondary education or high school and the first two years of post-secondary, whatever that could be. Um, could be at an institution like the University of Mississippi, could be a community college, could be in a trade, whatever. So thinking about those transition years and how to maximize math education experiences. We did those two podcast episodes where the last one, we got a lot of math ed leaders. It was pretty impressive zoom room uh, that we were in to record that with my friend, John Stanley. And we had four organizations represented. So again, pretty impressive little uh, podcast that we had. So we had two podcasts in the transition Years series. So if you're looking for those episodes, you can go to amazonplanet.com forward slash transition years. And would also, if you go to that link, You'll also be able to find um, the links to all the other content that was put out by John Staley as the facilitator of the launch years uh, kind of math organization leadership group. And they did like three webinars and then these two podcasts. So the two podcasts came out of the Amazon Planet feed. The rest of the content is the webinars. There's a link at the, that AmazonPlanet.com forward slash transition years if you want to go find the rest of that content, pretty cool stuff and how they're getting a lot of stakeholders together to think like, what do we, what do we do with regards to this? So if you're thinking deeply about, I don't know how to make uh, math courses more relevant, making sure no, there's no wasted step from transition years. So one thing that people talk about is, you know, they take calculus in high school and then they take calculus again at the university. That seems wasted, right? To have that overlap. How do we make sure that there's more, that there is no wasted step that like, that there we're just building constantly that there's 
everything's meaningful. And then also we're looking at our inequities present present in those transition years and how do we eliminate those inequities. And so a lot of people might think of, you know, they're, they're talking a lot about pathways and there's difference between pathways and tracking. And, and again, a lot of this content gets at that. All that being said is we just finished that, that series and maybe there'll be more in the future. Who knows? And so, but for right now, there's two episodes. And again, you go to AmazonPlanet.com forward slash transition years to find that podcast series. Also coming up, we're going to be, we're running quickly to the end of the year and we're just have lots to be thankful for. One, October and November of this year were the most successful with regard most successful months with regards to the Amazon Planet podcast. More downloads than ever. Um, in each of those successive like October, we kind of blew it out. We're like, wow, that was a lot. And then even with November was skipping a week with regards to Thanksgiving, um, there still was a lot of downloads. So really appreciate those of you listening and sharing and doing all that good stuff. And we'll try to keep putting out good content. And speaking of good content, I'm getting in the way of this episode. So without further delay, talking about his article, uh, When Even is Uneven, Inclusion is Exclusion with Berhana Tinkeskin, and basically how to love your neighbor. Here is my conversation with Dr. Berhana Tinkeskin. Berhana Tinkeskin, thank you for joining me on an episode of the Amazon Planet Podcast. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. Thank you. (laughs) It's very good. So uh, we're in a... uh, a remote location uh and thank you for welcoming to your house i appreciate it of course awesome and we've got some some great tea i know you're you're not a coffee person but i get to get some delicious is this turkish tea yes awesome great so um again thank you for joining us we're, we've got an article we're going to dive into uh i thought it was just powerful what you shared in the article we'll get into that in just a second but first before we get into that um you're a colleague and a friend, but could you just introduce yourself to anyone that's listening? Yes, uh, my name is Burhanit Tinkeskin, and my name is as challenging as my profession. I teach at the college, and I teach early childhood education to teacher candidates, mostly. Um, so I was born and raised in Turkey, and uh, I got my undergraduate degree in sociology in my hometown, Erzurum which is the east side of Turkey, where you don't usually see the tourists. <laughs> That's the mountainous, cold area of yeah. Turkey. Uh, so I got my BA in sociology in my hometown, and then um, I got a scholarship from Turkish government to study abroad. And I came to the United States in 1999 and started my master's degree uh, at the University of Colorado, Denver, in early childhood education. And then I started my PhD in Syracuse University in child and family studies. And then after a semester, I decided to move to Florida and finish my <laughs> PhD in early childhood education. So, and then when I finished my PhD, I went back to Turkey as the requirement of my scholarship. Uh-huh. Um, I worked there three, four years, and then I got a job interview because I flew from the other continent, so they felt bad, and they gave me the job. That's how I ended up in the U.S. Oh, and where, where was the job? Uh, Columbus State University. Columbus State University. Yeah, in Georgia. In Georgia, yeah. yeah. That was the only reason they offered me the job. It was because you came so far? Yes. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't believe that. Uh, and... 
I, I love it because I, I just when you're talking about your name and, and like I just think about some things that you know I remember the first time I met you and again just I'm a I have a very short name Joel and like I heard Berhan Tekeskin and then is that what you and it was like what do you go by he's like Berhanatin <laughs> <laughs> I'm like absolutely fantastic that's great but then yes. I didn't know the part about Syracuse like yes. uh, maybe you're like hey this is too much like home let's go to Florida. Um, to be honest, it's no offense to anybody attending to that university. It felt like everybody's life was revolving around school. That's it, you know. Uh-huh. Take the bus, go to the library, library to your class, class home, and then you repeat. It was gloomy, rainy, cold. Yeah. It was like, and I love the sunshine. Yeah, yeah. After coming from Denver to Syracuse, it was a big shock for me. I right. was like, Where's the nearest, where's the next sunny place that That's I can go? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. And uh, yeah, and, uh, and if anyone knows you, like you see see you on the walking path and like uh, getting out there and, and enjoying it. So, and also too, you know, focusing in on the, um, you know, purely academic side. I mean, and I, I'm going to brag on you a little bit. You're you're kind of a renaissance man <laughs> with all the different interests you have. And, you know, the, oh, there we go. You're going to just draw a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> No, like your drawings and like uh, do poetry and like, I don't know, I just, I appreciate that about you and uh, that's, it's not all, it's not all just job and nothing. Like you've got a great family, like, and again, you have many interests as well. Yes, it's, uh, I don't know, I think it is something that I cannot, um, I cannot help not to, like it just happens so naturally, you know, I can't just be just uh, focusing on academics you know i have to write uh, some things that i'm writing and i'm hoping one day it will somehow turn into a book and drawing is something that i can't help i have to do it you know and cooking is another one so i so yeah absolutely Couple things, yes. Yeah, the other two, and we just briefly laughed about it. We were talking about uh, when I was doing jujitsu, and you're like, "Hey, I'd like to try that." And we did that once, and like, that's that was enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have enough, <laughs> yeah. enough yeah. interest that's right. to yeah. keep me busy. That's right. Um, and so, you know, we wanted uh, you you um, shared a, uh, an article that you had written in the. It's the Journal of Autoethnography, if I'm correct. Yeah, yes. There you go. Journal of Autoethnography, uh, When Even is Uneven, From Inclusion as Exclusion. And uh, read it and was pretty struck by it. Wanted to do this conversation. I thought it was something to share. I think we're always thinking about on this podcast about learning to teach better. And I think we can learn something from this article on how to teach better. So can you provide a, a, a brief background of the article and how did it come to be? Yes. Um, as a parent, you will always have some moments where your children will come home and tell you some stories and it's going to upset you mm-hmm. that it's happening at school. But as a as someone who's not from here and uh, you hear that your children at times are discriminated one way or another because of their origin, their beliefs, uh, it really hits you hard. Mm-hmm. It's not... If it was for other reasons, maybe you will be, it wouldn't affect you that much. But because of your background, and it's purely because of your beliefs, mm-hmm. um, it, it hurts you a lot. So I had 
I had an option to just, you know, okay, it's lived, done, move on. Mm -hmm. But I felt like I had the obligation to write it down so maybe some teachers, maybe some other people will read it, some parents will read it and say, you know, this gives me a pause. Maybe I should be a little bit more careful about what I'm saying around my children. Uh, as a teacher, maybe I should be more careful about how I am treating everybody. Um, am I really being fair? You know, am I favoring people like me and excluding some people who are not like me? So I wanted to write it down so it won't disappear. Right. I, I felt like it was the right thing to do to honor that memory. It was painful, but it was a learning experience for me. Mm -hmm. And I wanted that to be on the record so people can read it and learn what we felt, I felt. and um, So I just didn't want it to disappear. Yeah, That strong moment, you know, mm -hmm. I just, it felt like it was wrong to ignore it, just and let it just be forgotten. Right. And so you engaged in some autoethnography, and I guess, you know, for those that might not be aware, like, can you just describe what autoethnography is? Yeah, so you can look at the, like the origin of the word, like autoethnography, so auto means self. Yeah. Ethno like is... Autobiography. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so self, ethno is anything related to, like, uh, ethnicity, race, social issues, mm -hmm. uh, and graphy is to examine, to tell so it's like you are uh, telling a story to people uh, about yourself, but you are examining that story and telling us and, and linking it to a broader issue, a social mm -hmm. issue. Yeah. So it's not it's, it's different than memoir or just simply writing your personal experiences. Mm -hmm. You are linking it to a larger context. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And so. Um, and to be honest, I was looking at autoethnography when I was looking at my dissertation because huh. I was going to be engaging in uh, teaching and thinking about what a, a specific kind of teaching, teaching as a uh, with, uh, teaching math as an act of unconditional love. And so, you know, maybe autoethnography would be a means for doing that, which it could have totally been. Mm -hmm. um, just I don't think I was skilled enough as a writer. <laughs> so, like, you, you did a really good job with this. Um, and, and, and it seemed like actually yours... You, the situations that you discuss in here were like, you know, it were stories. Like it, it'd be hard to tell the story of a semester mm -hmm. in of teaching, which is what I engaged in. Versus like these are almost like vignettes. Would you say like yes. vignettes um, of situations that you experienced, and then again looking at it with that broader lens. So, um, any other background you want to share? So that? the um, so these are my article is based on couple personal stories. Mm -hmm. So I tried to find a common thread and then uh, link them together and tell and then link it to a larger social issue and then tell my story and hope that uh, people will be empathetic when they are reading it. That's the power of autoethnography. You mentioned something that it's, it's really, uh, sometimes it's seen as like uh, sometimes some people belittle autoethnography because they say it's just me research, you know, me search. Uh, but really, uh, writing an autoethnography is, in my experience, and I can 
tell that people who are engaged in this will probably agree with me there. It's way harder than writing uh, other types of articles, which I have done before mm-hmm. too. But none of them took this long to write. Yeah. None of them made me stop and take a break because emotionally at times it was overwhelming. Yeah. I had to take a break to write it and come back. And also the style is different. It's, yeah. As you said, it, it's not purely academic, actually. It's like a marriage of academic writing and uh, creative writing. Yeah. So that's the challenge of it. How can you bring these two things? Usually they don't go well together. Right. You know, most academic writings are not very creative. They're mm-hmm. actually very boring, <laughs> you know. So yeah. you have to bring these two ends together, and which is a hard job. It really is a hard job. So That's why I started this podcast, because the things I can write are pretty boring. <laughs> But but and and again, going back to the the compliment I paid you, like Renaissance man. I mean, this is yeah, like you're bringing in these you know highly academic, uh, analytic perspective, but then also like there's good written, well written stories, and yes. like and again, what's um, I think the, another difficult thing with auto auto ethnography as compared to you know if we you did an ethnography like of uh, uh, a community or, or some uh, culture and you got your notes and you leave, well, you got your notes and mm-hmm. that's it. And then you start writing it and like you, the only thing you have, you, you're going off of your notes versus you, you're writing this and you're like, well, you, you're checking yourself probably all the time. Like, does that really true? Is that really, and like, there's this con, it'd be like almost constant reanalysis that's happening at the same time. I don't know. Is that yes. what you experience? Uh, this is my second autoethnographic article. Uh, every time I write autoethnography, so not a lot, obviously, too, but uh, in each case, when I was writing it, it really it, it taught me something when I was writing it. Mm-hmm. In my first autoethnographic article, um, it was about the ethnic tension that I went through when I was in Turkey growing up in a rough neighborhood. And uh, so we had, I had a lot of negative experience with uh, another ethnic group. Mm-hmm. And that's all I remembered from my childhood, basically, you know, all negative stuff. Yeah. But as I was writing it, because it's a writing is a process, it's also, it's therapeutic. It reminds you of certain things. It uh, takes the dust away from certain things that you have forgotten. Yeah, yeah. So I, when I was writing it, one day, I suddenly remember an old, what we called Kurdish grandpa, uh-huh. old guy. He just, I just totally forgot about him, you know. Yeah. He just appeared in my, like in front of me, of course not real, but like in my, right, I was right, like, in, memory, yeah. in my memory, I was like, I forget about him. He was so kind to me and everybody else I knew. Yeah. He will wake up early in the morning as I was also uh, waking up and just watching the sunrise. He will wake up, he will pray before sunrise, and he will start reading Quran outside of his uh, like makeshift house. It yeah, wasn't yeah. in a good shape. But he will read it, and then he will start offering food to people who are passing by, <laughs> just with a big, huge smile. Wow. Like a, uh, He was... He couldn't stand up straight, so he was like bent, yeah, yeah. 
But with that little body of his, he was emitting so much positivity. Yeah, yeah. I remember him, and I was like, "This is the beauty of autoethnography. When you're writing it, you know, you it reminds you of certain things too, yeah, yeah. and it teaches you certain things. And I really liked it. And the same thing happened with this one too. So when you're writing, it's not simply just the ideas up here in your brain, and then you just put it on the screen or on the paper. It's a almost like an interaction in a way. Yeah. And from that uh, bouncing of ideas between your, like between you and yourself. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost it, like your subconscious. Yeah, self, something yeah. comes out that yeah. wasn't there before or it was there, but it was not known to you. Yeah. Well, maybe you can share, it if, if you recall, what maybe something that was revealed at the same time as telling us about maybe one of the vignettes. So the one of the things like... Uh, so, first experience that I had uh, with my daughter's hell episode, you know, in the article, yeah. where people, like children, cornered her and said, you know, you are going to hell because you are Muslim, you are not Christian. And so, I have written it to a side, you know, I took notes about that experience and stuff. But then something else happened, and I was like, uh, I didn't write that down immediately, but later on I, I wrote it down and then I brought them together and I started seeing some link like that. You know, there is uh, some common thread mm-hmm. that's going on. When I started writing, that common thread that I saw as even, like as an exclusive mm-hmm. statement, not inclusive statement. And when I was writing it, it's some more information revealed to me in my mind. Like this is not just uh, even as an exclusive statement, but it's also power assertive statement. Whoever is saying it automatically gives themselves, nominates themselves as the power granting authority. Like right. I decide who is going to be right. included, who is not going to be included. Mm-hmm. So then this power aspect of this, that statement uh, revealed itself to me yeah so but it wasn't initially it wasn't initially there so the writing the writing of it it, yeah created that i made that connection as i was writing it yeah and just to in in the introduction you do a good job of laying out two sentences and the second sentence i'm going to highlight we need to show compassion to the people whose religion is different from ours even to the people of x religion So when we, when like you say that whenever that is said, even to the, like oh, all of a sudden we just created a hierarchy yeah, right there. Definitely, and most people who are saying such statements, they have good intentions. Good intentions. Yeah, yes, good intentions. So we have to keep that in mind that right. th- these are not people who are trying to hurt the other. You know, they're trying to be inclusive, but because of poor choice of word, or when it's done carelessly, it can actually hurt more. Yeah, you know because. When you, it's kind of when you use such even statements for the underdog, it seems like it is uh, inclusive. Uh-huh. But if you change that religion X with something else that's uh, the common religion of the society, suddenly people will say, wait a minute, what do you mean? Right. Yeah. But yeah. for an underdog, it sounds like inclusive, you know. Right. And actually, I'm going to link in the show notes. So, like, we did something um, in a professional development that I was a part of where we talked about target and non-target groups. 
and and I don't, I don't really like that terminology, uh-huh. but it's kind of like the what we're saying that there's a kind of a hierarchy. There's a hierarchy in certain social societies. Yes, it's like a soft target. You can you know punch on this target. It's not gonna make a big deal. You're not gonna hear a lot of noise out of it. Right. But if you were to touch this group, however, yeah. even though they might be minority too, you can't do that. But but what you can't do with this one, which rightfully you shouldn't, right. you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. But somehow it's okay if this group is not as valuable. Right. It's considered as valuable. Right. And so you're thinking about like, um, uh, so like some of my self descriptors: white, male, middle class, Christian. Um, what else I could say? Uh, able-bodied, mm-hmm. right? Like there's a lot of things, there's a lot of doors that just you know swing open or a wind in my back, right? And mm-hmm. so, and you think about there's privilege there. Even like this was pointed out to me, like if I go to a conference or I go travel somewhere on my own and I get, I'll, I'll go like, hey, where can I, uh, can I run? Uh, or I, I don't even ask, like I, I say, where, where can I run? Uh-huh. I don't even ask about running, like where can I run? And I'll think about running right then. It could be, in the dark, could be in light. I don't care. I'm going for a run, mm-hmm. and it's like there's other folks that they'd be like, they don't have that kind of luxury. They, do they have, have to think. Yes, and so like yeah, there's there's like a there was a privilege that, and, and it was one of those situations where I didn't even think about that mm-hmm. as something as a, a privilege, but that's kind of what a privilege is, right? <laughs> like you don't even some of them that you're not even know they're there, and so I love the way that you talked about with language. Like if you just switch that around, all of a sudden that that. That hurts. It would come around. Like, yeah, like, wait, what, what do you mean? mean? What, what do you mean, mean? about my yeah. religion? Right. Yeah, we should be tolerant to even Christians. We're like, right. what? What are you saying? Yeah, yeah. Of you course, you should be. To- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, we are Christian. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, exactly. But that, and that's a, that's a thing here. And so, what I love about this article is like, you know, like you said, like there's people with good intentions. They've taken a step, and this, what I think is great about it is like, hey, how can you take another step? Mm-hmm. Just be, a, how can we be a, just a little bit more sensitive? And so. Yes. But with that comes with uh, something to think about. Uh, so my intention was to make bridges, okay, build bridges, not to burn them. So the next step is, yeah, how do we get to know each other? But if we are extremely sensitive, then it kills the conversation. So right. I don't want my article to be taken that way either. Right. So I don't want it to, uh, because I got an email from one of my friends. It was like, can you come see this sign and tell me if it is inclusive or not? I said, hey, I'm not an inclusive police. <laughs> I'm not here to Brahmas is approved. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not what my intention is. I don't want people to be extremely sensitive around me or when they're talking. But that's not the case. My, what, my criticism, because that will kill the conversation. Right. If you want to kill any conversation, just be safe and don't talk or talk some mundane stuff. And you don't get to know that person, right. you know. So that's not the intention of this article. This article is to open the doors of our souls to one another, so we can get to know each other, but with a little bit consideration, you know. Like yeah. uh, there are some statements that we have been using over and over, over and over. We don't really think about is this really the best way to say it? Right. You know, that just just gives us a pause, like, hold on just a second. Let's reconsider those statements and then see if we can come up with a better versions of them. Well, yeah, and then you, reading the you know the vignette about your interaction with your daughter and the situation that was unveiled, it was like, 
you know, you're ready from your perspective as a father, mm-hmm. both fathers, and thinking about an interaction with your child. I have, you know, and thinking about my own child, and like if they had that experience, I mean, it was emotional, and 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 like what, and again, the power of autoethnography, the power of what you created is, it is the power of empathy, and mm-hmm. that's, and, and I think what you're saying too is we want these conversations so we can have empathy for each. So I'm not just thinking about. X group, I'm thinking about my friend, right? Mm-hmm. Or our relationship, or there's someone that I like, so that we can have compassion and empathy for each other that is genuine and build more understanding about each other. I think that's the, again, when you, as you mentioned, it's the power of autoethnography. It's not purely academic, it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. And it's creative, but also it creates, it pushes you to take the other person's perspective. Yeah. Uh, it's very hard to do so just simply reading textbook information, you know. Right. You can read about statements about, you know, you need to be inclusive. Don't, you know, judge people based on some mundane things that you see or based on whatever people are telling you, you know, use your logic, you know, etc. Yeah, these are good statements, but they're not going to really click with you. Right. But when you read a story... That's how you connect to people with personal stories, and that's the power of autoethnography. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about some lessons that were learned in the writing and the reading of the article. Um, what other lessons? I mean, anything else that pop? I know you you're a good note taker, so. So the lessons I think everybody needs to think that you know whatever I am doing in life is this really making a group of people's life harder or easier. I know there's a tension, be- like, and this tension is all over the place, not just in the U.S., you right. know, like immigrants, refugees. Right. And people tend to think, you know, okay, I am here and they're coming here, these poor immigrants. Sometimes the story is not complete when you look at it that way, you know. Right. Uh, like, I... Honestly, like I, my goal to come to United States wasn't to stay here. You know, it wasn't my intention. Some people come here because they have a very harsh condition back yeah. home. You know, wars or some something major going on. That wasn't the case for me. I came right. here to study. I I felt like America was the best place to go. Yeah, and uh, I chose America over some yeah. other countries, and I said, I, I want to study there. And when I am done, I'm going to go back and, you know, live in Turkey. Right. That was my goal. But sometimes what you plan and what happens, they don't match. That's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm here living here because I met my wife, and, you know, so we decided to stay here, which is, I think, better for both of us right. to be here. But I just want people to re-examine the narratives that they are hearing from the media. Just because I'm not from here, that doesn't make me any less human because I didn't choose where I was born. I'm glad I don't have any problem with my nationality, like where I am from. As a a dual citizen, I like being here too. It's not like... I forced myself to be here. I chose to be here too, mm-hmm. so I, I don't want people to misunderstand me. Right. But I am happy with my ethnicity, with my background, 
and uh, with my country, origin country. Uh, sometimes we have a kind of a deficit approach to mm -hmm. immigration. Uh, I want people to just re-examine that concept. Yeah. Because it's very simplistic, actually. Right. And oftentimes simplistic approaches lead you to the wrong way. Yeah. Well, I was reading about... Um, I think the book that I, I like a lot is uh, The How to Be Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi, and he talks about, like assimilationist and segregationist and like you know like both of those are wrong like there's beauty in everyone and so like why why does it have to be we're all together or we're separate like you know how do we how do we how do we live together as a, and, we, and that takes work it does take work it takes about building relationships building friendships building um understanding but yeah. that it doesn't come from just you know, having one perception and never learning and growing about people. And if everybody is so much alike, I mean, that's really not the society that I will prefer, really. I will like some different opinions, you know. That's, right. that's how we grow, yeah. you know, when we are challenged with ideas. The reason our muscles are growing because we are challenging, challenging. you know. Yeah. You don't grow muscles sitting, laying on the couch and doing nothing, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I've got, I got a soapbox on that. <laughs> I was down to transition lenses where all the different sections are different, uh, you know, different things so your eyes don't have to focus. Uh -huh. It was worse because, like, I took my glasses off. Like, I can't see a thing. So I went back to my old school. They're one, one way. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, so I can keep my eye muscles working. So yeah, yeah, that's, it's, it's good to have different opinions. And I think... Well, that's... Yeah, that's it, what makes things wonderful. But people say this and they believe in it. But the, without really examining it, you can't tell that it's actually what they are doing. You know, right. like the the words and action, the gap between the two. Yeah. It's big. We say, yeah, we like diversity. But then when you bring a different opinion that it's not a crazy opinion, it's just a different right. perspective. It just like you are perceived as like an outcast. Like, yeah. like how can you say we value diversity but when it comes to different opinions different ideas that might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable right how can you say you know treat that opinion as like an outcast right instead of something that you can develop a, another idea to address that opinion instead right. of that it's easy to just label it as an outcast it's right. the easy way mm -hmm. to do a simplistic way right yeah and that's that's not growth, right? It's not. Yeah. It's actually declining. It's not even staying the same. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's, because it's, there is growth, there is staying the same and declining. That's right. declining. That declining. That if the yeah. society, if or when it comes to that point, that means it's declining. It's not letting different ideas breathe and mm -hmm. develop. That's how empires collapse. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. As soon as they start... Uh, cutting their links to the outside world, right. thinking that we are so great, we do everything right, mm -hmm. whatever we do is the greatest thing. We don't need other people's opinion. You know, other we don't we don't care what other countries are doing. Then you start declining. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's. And you don't have to be a historian to see this. <laughs> no. It's so obvious. You yeah. Know? Exactly. Um, any other lessons that you wanted to highlight? Um, I just. So this is the, I think, the shortcomings of autoethnography. So when you are reading autoethnography, uh, 
it's n one. It's just one person's true. experience. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So just looking at that uh, image that I described in the library, post as a you know, all welcome right. with a uh, a woman with a hijab face covering. I don't like it, but it's just me. Uh-huh. Other people may see that and then feel empowered, like, hey, this is a very welcoming place. So whatever I wrote, take it with a grain of salt. It's a one person's perspective. That's how I felt. That's what my experiences have been so far in what I wrote in that article. But you have to approach it as one person's opinion. Okay, And I could be way off. You have to have self-doubt. And of course, like anything else, it has to be balanced. You know, you don't want to overdo it. You don't want to not do it at all either. Right. Yeah. So my self-doubt is that this is a one person's opinion. Read it and see if you can learn something or if you can, if it uh, turns some lights in your brain. Or maybe you can say, hey, you know, I disagree with this and this is why I disagree. And as I said, that statement that even some people close to home, they find that uh, image in the library very welcoming. Yeah. I didn't. It bothered me. Yeah. So one person. So well, the, under- think of that way. Yeah, and to understand different people's perspective. Like, here's what I was thinking, and it was, it was bothered. Here's how I was thinking. I was felt welcomed. Okay. Yeah. Right. And then if having a better understanding, that's... We're growing, growing closer to each other, and that's creating a better situation for everyone. And it was more than uh, just one incident. You know, if I were to just take one incident and write a whole article about it, uh, then it will have lowered its generalization, yeah. generalability, yeah. because it's just one incident, one person, one incident. So I tried to avoid that problem. I brought vignettes. some several vignettes yeah. together to yeah. say, I see a common thread, common some tendencies here. Yeah. And to avoid that N1, like sample yeah. size one yeah. uh, issue. So, you know, and, and then again, we're taking, obviously we're talking, we're trying to encourage people to engage with ideas, engage with experiences, engage with each other. Yes. Um, so if someone reads this article and they don't do that, like, what are some cautions? I had one just, to, I don't know, if, like this was one that mm-hmm. I think we talked about before when talking about recording this episode was, you know, the person that is taking that effort and, you know, is, is trying to take a step and then like, well, it was, you know, why should I even try? They throw up their hands like, why yeah. even try? Uh-huh. And like, so then they completely disengage. And so, but I think what the thing is, is like, this is about a even continued engagement is like, here's how, if, if you're taking these intentions, how you can enact them even better, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so this is not to discourage any inclusive uh, endeavors. So that's not the point of right. the article. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is we just have to be a little bit more careful. Mm-hmm. So if you are trying to be inclusive towards one, you know, population that's uh, marginalized, it's better to engage with them and then see how what they think about that right. before you make it public. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think that's that that's a uh, good start. Yeah, And uh, my whole point is just a little bit consideration, you know. Right. Yeah, you Sometimes good people do bad things or 
even with the good intention. Right. I'm not here to write or say that, you know, these are terrible people. No, what I'm saying is that being good, having good intention is necessary, but it's not enough. Right. You have yeah. to do your homework. Mm-hmm. You know? And this is, not, this is a reminder for whoever is reading. It's also a self-reminder for myself, too. Oh, yeah. So it's not I'm lecturing uh, people and... This is a lecture for myself too. There are lessons for me to remember as well. So this is not a guy up here at a high place talking down to people. No, this is a reminder for everybody, including myself. That's right. Yeah, that's why it's autoethnography. It's yes, lesson uh, gathered from my own personal stories to teach something to other people and link it to other problems, but also a reminder for myself, like... I have to be careful with my language too. When I am trying, there is a saying in Turkish, they say when you are plucking your eyebrow, you don't want to make yourself blind. If you are, your purpose is to beautify yourself, yeah. but then you end up blinding yourself. So yeah, the intention is good. You want to beautify something, but if it is done carelessly, yeah. it can cause problems. Okay. Make a note about that when I pluck my eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> What what I will also another reason uh, one thing that I want to mention. So just because you are the mainstream, you are part of the mainstream culture or race, whatever. When you see someone is being discriminated one way or another, we have choices, right? We can be silent, or we can be we can stand up for people Mm -hmm. because. When you're standing up for others, you're not just standing up for others. You're also standing up for your dignity as well. Mm -hmm. It's not just for others. And that's how bad people get away with stuff, with the terrible stuff, because if they realize that no one is going to say anything, they're going to do even more bad stuff, more bad. So our loyalty that we have to keep in mind, our loyalty is not to ourselves or our tribe or our relatives, our kin- kinsmen, our loyalty is to truth and justice. Even if it doesn't serve us mm-hmm. individually, even if it is against us, we have to say, you know, that's wrong. I saw it happening. I'm going to say something. Not just to alleviate that person's burden, but it's the right thing to do. Right. You know, because what is better than having a compass of truth and justice, you know, even if it is against yourself. That's, a, that's actually a verse from Quran. I, I wrote yeah. it down. That's the, yeah. when you, um, it's, I, I believe it's the, in the Harvard School of Law Library. It says, the verse goes like this, if, if I yeah, can. Yeah, go for it. It says, um, Oh, it's in the microphone. The, it's the, Chapter 4, verse 135 from Quran says, Oh, you believe, stand out firmly for justice as witnesses to God, even as against yourself, your parents, your tribes, or your relatives. So when you do that, you know, you may lose some friends, you may lose maybe even your position or whatever, but you gain much more. Mm. That is... Uh, how I see things. Yeah. No, I, and I remember we used to uh, have a video we would play in a, one of our courses about 
the Bully Project, and it talked about being an upstander, like this idea of up, you know, standing up mm-hmm. and like saying, hey, if we stand up together, like no bully can out upstand over many upstanders, right? That's and true. So like to be that leader of standing up for somebody else or for something, and like you're saying, anything that you see that you know is is wrong. Even if it doesn't eliminate the problem, it will lessen it. That's something too. Mm. Sometimes you, you you don't have power to eliminate a problem. You know, individuals hardly do, but you can lessen it. Next time that person is going to say something that will discriminate another person, they will think twice. Mm. So maybe another person will say something. You know, yeah. but if they keep getting away with discriminating people and making their lives harder because they are not like them, right? Yeah. That's the, that's the issue, that if, if they don't see any resistance, then they get away with it, and the situation gets right. worse quickly. No resistance equals encouragement. Right? You know, sometimes. sometimes that's true. If an individual is too powerless to do anything, maybe there are some situations like that, you know. I, I don't, I don't want to dismiss that possibility. Right. But oftentimes we do have... We can say things. We can yeah. do things. Sometimes maybe you can't change things, but the least you can do is say something. Right. You know, that will make it hopefully happen less frequently. Right. If people were to speak up a little bit more when they see in, injustice, when they see someone attacking the truth. You know? Yeah. So what do we do to learn more? I think learn more means... You have to open your heart to other yeah. others, you know. And to do that, it's not just a, a concept; it's an action. Get to know your neighbor, you know. You know, love your neighbor. Yeah, it's yeah. from the Bible, right? right? Love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. I want people to really think about that. What that really means, right. yeah. Yeah. Love your neighbor means not love your neighbors when they are like you, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a way broader concept, and and I want people to think about that concept. When yeah. you love your neighbor, that could be your next door neighbor or person whose office is next to you. Yeah, that's your neighbor too. Go Sorry. reach out. Just say hi. You know how are you? Just talk. Mm-hmm. You know, talking is a good start. But if you just simply uh, just nod your head and just don't talk, yeah. you're not really getting to know other people. You're just, it's such a weird thing to me, you know, when yeah. people just pass by, they don't even get to know. Sometimes when you try and they just give you some very superficial answers and it's like, you know, I have enough number of friends, I don't want another oh, one. Yeah. That type of mm-hmm. mentality. I'm like, you know, our we have a one-time shot in this life. As far as I know, I might be wrong. <laughs> You know, yeah. as far as I know, that's one shot. Why, why limited to this? You know, why not get to know other people and then see what you can learn from others? Right. You know, you cannot possibly know everything as a one person. Knowledge-wise, emotion-wise, everything-wise, the only way for you to know more and develop yourself is if you open yourself. And expand your horizon and include more people in your circle. Yeah. So the relationship, I will say, what can we do? We, we need to talk to our neighbors. That's right. 
or even the people who are not our neighbors, you know. Yeah. Now with the internet, the invention of internet, that concept of neighbor is yes. much broader Blown out. Yeah, mm-hmm. than it was, let's say, 20, 30 years ago. Right. You know? Yeah, and like being able to jump on to a, and connect with people. Is yeah, really connecting the people heart to heart, being yeah. honest, you know. Right. When there is honest intention, good intention, occasionally you will make mistakes, you will break someone's heart. But that's why I was saying, like, this article is not written for a hypersensitive culture. It's not to promote such culture. I'm not in favor of that. I'm just saying, let's be honest, be genuine, and try to, if you really want to help a group, just do your homework first. And then see if whatever you are promoting or saying or displaying, is this really as inclusive as you think it is? Yeah. And if you have the relationships... Then you can, can find out, yeah. Right. If you don't, you just decide for them. So yeah. for them, you're like, okay, I think this is, yeah, yeah, this is good for you. Well, this is a good model, like sitting at a table with a hot beverage, <laughs> which was delicious, by <laughs> yes. the way. Thank but you. Uh, but this, is, this is what we want, right? This is yes. what we want to be able to do. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just <laughs> kind of the... Um, I was thinking about our... You know, relationship in in the office and being able to and this is pre pandemic being able to go give ourselves a quick hug yes <laughs> right before class and stuff like that or having a quick laugh about something with kids and you know those are it, it starts in small ways but then when there's something like this when wow we, let's let's talk about something a little bit deeper mm-hmm. like you have a, a foundation when you can dive in or when we had we had that really big conversation about love how lo- you see love in in the Muslim tradition and versus the Christian tradition and, and thinking about that and like looking for the commonalities and things. That was a, that of was course, a fun it is. conversation. It's, uh, when you look at your past as an individual, you don't remember when you think about your past, you don't really remember the things that you had in the past. or the, What you remember basically is how people made you feel, the right. relationships that you built over that life. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important thing, the relationships. To cultivate that, we have to get to know each other and the people who we think that they are other, they are different. We need to reach out to them, you know. Even if they're not reaching to us, we need to reach out to them. Mm -hmm. Because they might have good reason to not to reach to us because of the discrimination they might have been, like, continuously facing, you know. But we need to really expand our horizon and let's get to know people and build relationships, get to know each other. Right. Love your neighbor, know your neighbor, and it starts with knowing your neighbor. That's right. Think, yeah. So that's, yeah. that's a good word. Yes. Um, anything we can uh, promote for, for you? I, don't, like, I know that this article oh. is not available freely. Um, again, that's kind of why we want to do the podcast to share some of the lessons that have been learned. You've done some interesting things with, uh, uh, like, some conversations with. Yes. So all I am asking, Joe, is yeah. just make me famous. That, <laughs> that's it. That's, that's on you. Doing. Okay. So do your homework and make me famous. That's, that's all on you. Uh, but kidding aside, uh, so that article is not open access, unfortunately. Um, don't get me started with how the publication yeah, world yeah, works. Exactly. But uh, if anyone really wants to read it, they can reach out to me, okay. and uh, we'll go yeah. from there. Mm-hmm. And uh, for other things, I uh, I write serious stuff. You know, <laughs> some 
academic like heavy philosophical things yeah and some very light things like conversation hypothetical conversation with jerry seinfeld so it's on medium.com if you yeah. search my name yeah well, and we'll put a link to it in the yes show notes. so uh, so from very serious to not so serious anything in between i write well, I like you have a great piece on Harold and the paper, uh, very uh, uh, theoretical. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, very theoretical, philosophical, and religious interpretation of Harold and the Purple Crayon. Which is fantastic. Yeah, that is a uh, so that's not as easy read as this one. Like, yeah, <laughs> but I, I tend to not limit my writing to one thing. Right. That, just make it a I broad think, writing. I think those three examples right there alone, I like this and the, the design <laughs> and the Herald and the Paper Crayon. I yes, think anything in between. Anything yes, in right. between. Yeah. And also, too, if you're interested in our, uh, we have a, a, an excellent uh, program for uh, early childhood at the University of Mississippi, and so we could put links to that as well. Um, and, yeah, I just want to say thank you for thank uh, you. welcoming your home and uh, sharing this uh, conversation. Yes. I hope you will come again. All right. All right. Thank you. All right, there it is. So lots of stuff being mentioned in this episode. Um, some links to a bunch of things that you can find at amadonplanet.com forward slash episode 61. Love that conversation with Dr. Keskin. So he's got lots of stuff um, available. So again, all those links will be at that uh, in the show notes at amadonplanet.com forward slash episode 61. And so like his <laughs> hypothetical conversations with Seinfeld, uh, you know, links to the article that we talked about, even though it is behind a paywall, you can still look at the um, abstract and things. And if you want to buy it, you can actually go buy it. Or maybe you have other ways to access it through an institution that you're a part of. Um, also put a link to his Herald and the Purple, Purple Crayon uh, article. It's really interesting. It's very theoretical, but it's a, a great way to approach it through um, the, the children's book, Herald and the Purple Crayon. And so Everything, yeah. So if you're looking for other things that we mentioned, again, all those links should be there. And if not, you can always email me at joel at amadonplanet.com. If you have some feedback or some ideas about how to make the podcast better or you have some ideas or suggestions for who we should have on the podcast, always looking for those. Really appreciate all the feedback and we got more good stuff coming up. So if you're looking for ways to support the podcast, you can subscribe. That's always good. Subscribe and share. We, people have been doing that because the, the downloads are up and really appreciate it. Really appreciate all that. And good feedback on the socials, too. But if you're looking for us on the social media, uh, you can get it at Amadon Planet, doc, at Amadon Planet on LinkedIn, Facebook, um, Instagram, and Twitter. But also we have the face the Amadon Planet uh, Facebook page. You can like that so you can get all those updates. Whatever social media outlet you like, just we're, we're there. You can also... Um, Subscribe to the Amazon Planet download. We'll have other information coming out. We're probably going to put out some of that transition year stuff on the Amazon Planet download just to make sure people have access to that material, especially if you're someone that's a, uh, a stakeholder in the math education sort of world. That's a pretty important stuff, or just even with regards to coursework in those transition years, uh, that would be pretty important information, good information to have access to. Excuse me. Um, and then if you're also looking for ways to support the podcast, there's the Amazon Planet store, the Amazon Planet bookshop. Links can be found in the footer at AmazonPlanet.com. So that's all the way to the bottom of the webpage. If you're looking for that, any of your purchases will support the production costs of the podcast. So finally, thank you for listening to this episode of the Amazon Planet podcast. Thanks to Berhanatin Keskin for sharing his time, expertise, and and just his work. I mean, 
this work that's really personal and you, you hear that within the talk and so and then just thinking about how to love your neighbor i really appreciate him and, and have me over and thank you for the tea and for inviting me to his house is good stuff thanks to matt midland for the music in this episode and finally thank you to all of you out there who are seeking to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others this world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you've been given to serve others thank you for all that you do peace peace